Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode three. So, just before starting, I would like to say that this episode is sponsored by absolutely no one because we're not there yet. But what that does mean is that we can get cracking with today's episode Global Health Inequality's Distant Problem or Local Reality. Now, this one is going to be more of a reflective piece because whew, there are so many components that we just can't dive into each one uh, without, you know, taking as much time as the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So we're not going to do that. This is more of a reflective piece, uh, a bit different to the other two podcasts that I've done previously. But if you enjoy it, let me know, um, because I enjoyed recording it, keeping it short and sweet, but concise. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy the show. So humanitarianism is defined as the promotion of human well-being. And you have to use that definition when discussing global health inequalities, because we have to be human welfare driven. We always have to keep this at the forefront of our minds. It's not something humanitarianism, that is. It's not something which is restricted to one week's worth of outrage. It's a way of life. It's not a temporary process. We have to have the well-being and welfare of others at the forefront of our minds if we want to be sincere in tackling healthcare inequalities. You know, how is it we have enough money for media subscriptions? Media subscriptions, which, by the way, we only really consume one-tenth of each month. And yet the minute that you're asked to pay £3 for sanitation, healthcare and poverty-related projects, we always take a step back. But it's very easy to see why that is. When you sign up, you know, let's just run with this whole media subscription analogy just a little bit more. When you sign up or when you put your investment in, you get a tangible outcome. You can see the reward for it. You know exactly where that money that you've put in is going. Say, for example, you spend a fiver, you get X number of films. Those films are in front of you, even if you don't use them. That's the outcome. Happy days. When it comes to charity, on the other hand, you're a little bit more restricted as to the outcome that you can physically see. Because when we talk about charity, especially in the context of global health inequalities, the charity, the donation, the money that we're going for, usually has an impact thousands of miles away from our own pockets. It's nothing that we can directly observe. And I use the term investment very deliberately. Because, you know, charity is as much a goodwill gesture as it is an investment. But in this case, rather than the investment being a commercial uh, acquisition, the investment is the well-being and the enhancement of someone else's life, another human life. Although to judge that investment of charity by the same standards as which you judge your other investments, your other purchases, is a bit misplaced. It's a bit misguided, because the outcomes are often very different. You can't see, you can't feel, you can't hear the outcome. But just because you don't get a postcard, say, in the same way you would if you were sponsoring an animal, 
Does that mean that you shouldn't invest? Does that mean you shouldn't donate your money just because you don't get an openly overt round of applause for donating? And you know what, I see this as a double-edged sword, and I'll touch back on this in a second, but before I do so, let me just enlighten you all about where we stand as a global community regarding the sincerity in tackling healthcare inequalities. So the United Nations in the year 2015 set out 17 sustainable development goals. Number three on that list was good health and well-being for all. This is something which the SDGs, these sustainable development goals, are targets which the world community has to achieve by the year 2030. And on paper, these sound very cute, they sound idealistic, they sound nice and, you know, fluffy. But medicine, healthcare, surgery, these things don't exist in a vacuum. They are as much dependent on the outside environment as anything else. So exactly how you want to achieve good health and well-being when globally we're at a state of increased warfare in all of its forms is just beyond me. So are you telling me we're supposed to eradicate healthcare inequalities solely through donating to charity and goodwill? As if. And yet, this is the exact conundrum that we face. This is the reality of our situation. On the one hand, we're made to believe that tackling healthcare inequalities is a primary focus. We're just aggravating the situation. We're aggravating the inequalities. When you have healthcare systems of countries completely being annihilated, increased poverty, inability to access clean drinking water, famine, how are we supposedly going to resolve all of these things by 2030? I mean, the odds of my hairline no longer receding seem to be more favourable than reducing or eliminating global health inequality in the year 2030. So this is where I bring it back to the idea of a double-edged sword, this conundrum. We as human beings, we have a duty to one another. That's the essence of humanitarianism, promoting human welfare. But that's very hard to do on a micro level, on a human to human basis. When on a macro level, we see such a disparity between the messages that we're supposed to believe and the reality on the ground. So you can't really blame your average person for having second thoughts about wanting to donate. You can't blame them for not wanting to donate for not being incentivized to donate. Because they see that they've given five pounds, yeah, okay, we get a short-term acute victory. A child or a family are no longer hungry for a month. But that just belies the rest of the problems that that family or that child face, such as a lack of access to clean drinking water, a lack of access to proper healthcare system, inability to have surgery when they need it, overpriced medication, and then, you start to think, how much of your money do you actually need to donate to address all of these components? On a micro level, just how much is it that you as one person can do? Because it's like you're fighting an uphill battle. Although in this scenario, this situation, this paradigm that we find ourselves in, gives itself to the concept of doing something is doing better than nothing. When you come back to this idea of gauging success, when we gauge success by sponsoring an animal, we gauge it through seeing two, three, four, five pictures a year, happy animal running around in a field. And that's great, that's wholesome content, we really like that. But we can't judge our humanitarian exploits in the same way. You know, convincing ourselves that we've done a good job, although we have, 
by solely seeing a picture of a child smiling and having a full belly after being fed for a month, yes, okay, that's a good start. But that belies the other problems here, because behind the scenes, that child still doesn't have access to um, a healthcare system which can support him or her. That child may be an orphan, that child may be the sole breadwinner at a young age for his or her family. So if we solely stop caring once we see one or two pictures and convincing ourselves that we've achieved success, that's when we begin to regress. That's when we begin to compound the problem further. True success can only be gauged when we transition or there is a complete transition from the current status quo which a child or a family in an impoverished nation, in a war-torn nation, finds itself in, to a situation which they are then able to become self-reliant. Success, in that sense, is a long-winded process, and it's one which does not seem to have any end in sight. And that's not because of a lack of goodwill or a lack of desire to change things. Rather, the notion that if we keep doing the same thing as expecting a different outcome, we're not actually addressing the most substantial components to global health inequalities. You know, like I said, they're not just solely restricted to an operating theatre or access to medication on that basis. It's a holistic thing, there are many components to it. You know, even broadly speaking, the fact of countries at war, populations get displaced become jobless, no income, they are considered migrants in a new country. I'm going to touch on this point of migrants later, but migrants traditionally don't have the same rights or access to healthcare in the country they find themselves in or in the country they migrate to as the local population does. So you're already subjugating a group of patients or potential patients to even more distorted outcomes. You know, the number of years of work and life that they've lost to disability increases. Then, by the time that migrants suddenly do become absorbed and considered compatriots, they're a body, they are part of the community fabric of that country, you'll then have a sizable population who find themselves to be unhealthy and putting a strain on the healthcare system. This is just a sample of how things can link. So when I say global health inequality's distant problem or local reality, the fact is what starts off as a distant problem through our collective inaction and our collective lack of sincerity in addressing the problem can become a local reality very quickly. We are more interconnected and we are more in touch with one another than we'd like to believe. And the whole idea of migrant straight on the healthcare system is just one component of it. But migrants, like anyone else, are still human beings. They still deserve the healthcare, they still deserve the attention that the rest of us do. But by the time you give it to that population and other populations and other groups, is it a case of too little too late? Maybe. But charity, let's just kind of come back to it. Charity is just one aspect of the bigger picture of humanitarianism. Relief projects, humanitarian projects, they're all integral, they're really important, and they have to be continued, they have to be maintained. But solely relying on these projects and donations as a means of eradicating inequalities is completely misguided. It's as though 
you have a water bottle, right? Which has a clear gaping hole at the bottom. Rather than fixing that hole, what you're doing is you're just overloading the bottle with water, 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 giving yourself the illusion that the bottle is still full and fit for purpose. Now, if we use the metaphor of this bottle being global health inequalities, the massive gap in this bottle, the massive hole in this bottle is caused by war, is caused by economic sanctions, is caused by underdeveloped nations which don't get the attention that they need. There are a whole load of factors. Charity is no problem, but charity alone is stupidity. Charity alone is the overfilling of water into a bottle with a gaping hole. So then you might ask, what should we do? Well, it's very simple. We need to take more active concern when policies are made. We need to actually be encouraging systemic policy change. We should be making healthcare and healthcare inequalities the primary focus rather than the secondary focus. By tackling global health inequalities at, at a macro level, you have positive knock-on effects in what you're trying to achieve. I'm just relating these back to the sustainable development goals. So by having a healthy active population that has access to medication, that has access to surgery when they need it, you're increasing the number of people that can potentially go back into the workforce. You're reducing poverty, you're reducing lack of education, you're increasing the amount of people who can be attending school, higher education. And then higher education leads to ideas, opportunities, which can contribute to potential solutions for climate change. Again, all of these things that I mentioned, education, work, climate change, these are sustainable development goals. We have to stop putting healthcare as a side dish and we have to put it as the priority. So charity, yes, but charity in addition to persistent and sustained pressure on policymakers to understand that war is not the first solution, neither is economic warfare, because it leaves a lot of people behind. I understand that you can't have a strong economy without a healthy population and vice versa. Because that's what people think about these days, unfortunately. They think about the fiscal argument, the economic benefits. You know, healthcare is no longer a humanitarian thing as we'd like to believe it to be. We no longer just consider well-being as a priority. We want to see a number before that. We want to qualify that well-being. So, you know what, let's indulge this idea. Let's think about it in a monetary lens. Let's just tap into this capitalistic idea of it and say, okay, enough is enough. If we want to succeed, if we want to prosper as a global community, economically, socially, now is the time to take it seriously. It, of course, being global health inequalities. So that's just one aspect of things. Another aspect comes in the definitions that we use regarding different groups of people. Honestly, the definitions that we use form a significant role you know in formulating our opinion and our perspective and our outlook regarding other people you know if we want to be sincere about tackling healthcare inequalities we need to be sincere about changing the definitions we use let's address the inequalities that we contribute to through the definitions that we use how is it westerners are considered to be expats but someone who comes from a developing nation is a migrant. 
and a migrant, by definition, is someone who leaves a place of hardship seeking a better life. Surely everyone who goes abroad is seeking a better life in some regard. Are they not? Or are their intentions solely defined or restricted to, based on their geographical location? Something which, by the way, a lot of people didn't have a say in. And this is a big problem because when we're treating two equally qualified people as unequal, then what hope do we have in actually wanting to rectify the inequalities on a global scale when we can't do it on a person-to-person basis? So I suppose in summary, three things that we can do to tackle global healthcare inequalities. Firstly, continue charity work. Because charity work is the first line of defense and the first line of support and comfort for a lot of people who are undergoing challenging situations and find themselves in hardship. Secondly, an increased sustained engagement with policymakers to ensure that war economic sanctions are not considered first line and even in the event that they are considered or they are enacted, to have certain mechanisms which truly do protect the healthcare systems of different countries, which truly do protect and preserve the ability of people to access clean drinking water, to access food, to access medication, to access surgery when they need it. And thirdly, we need to start addressing the imbalances that we're creating through our definitions. Because until we regard everyone as equal, the world will always be unequal. Alright, so that concludes it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, uh, consider subscribing. It's available on most uh, podcast streaming services. And alternatively, you can follow uh, the podcast for updates at In Conversation with Hany on Instagram. Uh, If you like the new format, if you like the short and concise version, let me know so I can just tailor future podcast episodes accordingly. But in any case, stay safe, stay tuned, and I'll see you on the next episode.